Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, improving the lives of California's children and youth at risk. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. On today's California Report magazine, stories about Californians living with disabilities. We meet a woman who's never spoken a word, but she's been communicating her whole life. Can you hear me? It's so important to be heard. Plus what it's like to navigate high school as a deaf teenager. At home, I can let the silence drown out the sound because silence is a comfort. It's the other half of my world. And we meet a Sacramento family grappling with what it would mean to take away their daughter's disability and what that says about the way society puts value on certain types of bodies. You want to take it away and fix it, but at the same time that's saying you're broken. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Morning, Santa Clara High School. These are the morning announcements. When the morning announcements pipe through the walls of Santa Clara High School, students usually stop for a minute and listen for what the day has in store. But what if the announcements sounded like this? Good morning, Santa Clara High School. Well, that's what they sound like to 16-year-old sophomore Olive Howden. It's pretty much what everything sounds like to her. That's because she's deaf and she uses cochlear implants to help her hear. Olive is going to tell us what it's like to navigate a full day of high school while struggling to be part of the conversation. I'm heading to my first class of the day, journalism. There's so much happening as I'm walking through the hallways. Simply talking to more than one person at a time is a struggle for me. If you ask me what the word I use most often is, I would say, what? As in, can you repeat that? Because I am constantly missing half of every conversation. So yesterday I forgot to do my homework, so I have to do it today during third period. That's one of my friends telling me about a test she just took. She speaks really softly, so I have to ask her a couple times. What subject? What subject? Yeah, um, it was for English. What subject? English? I was born deaf, but I can still hear. Just not the same way as the other 2,000 kids at my high school. When I was 18 months old, surgeons implanted tiny computers in my cochlea. 
my inner ears. The cochlear implants work with processors to do my hearing for me. Basically, I have bionic ears. But apparently, the things I hear sound tinny, like listening to something on the other end of a metal tunnel. <laughs> At lunch, it's hard to find a quiet place to eat. My friends and I usually sit outside, in the quad. It's still noisy out there, but it's better than the cafeteria. My peers speak at what seems like the speed of light. Somehow, they pick up on things I didn't even realize the person next to me was saying. But my friends are amazing people. They seem to know exactly when to repeat what I didn't hear. Olive does like a hundred daily. You do like a hundred push-ups daily. So, we have a couple things to do today. The first thing is we're doing our chapter 19 reading quiz. After lunch, it's AP European history. Some of my teachers, especially the quiet mumbly ones, wear a microphone I carry around with me. No matter which way they're facing, I can hear them because the microphone streams directly to my processors. I couldn't ignore them if I tried. Then we're going to move on. We're going to do a continuation of yesterday's notes. We're moving into um, Stalin's Soviet Union. But I can't have everyone around me use a microphone. Last year, I went to see the school play, and about five minutes in, I realized that I wasn't going to understand a thing. The actors didn't have microphones. So this year, I looked up the script online and read the entire thing beforehand. Freshman year, I decided to try something I've always wanted to do. I joined my school swim team. The issue was that my processors aren't waterproof, so I made sure to tell the coach, hey, I'm deaf, and she said, no problem. But there was one small hiccup. I missed one of my very first races. The pool deck was loud, and it was cold and rainy, and I didn't have my processors on. This wasn't a super tragic moment for me, since I wasn't that invested in the race, but it did remind me that I need to make one thing clear. Cochlear implants are not the same as real hearing. After a busy day at school and what feels like an endless amount of what and I can't hear you, I come home and I turn my processors off. In the silence, sound seems imaginary. It's not real. The absence of sound leaves a void. It's so quiet I can hear it screaming. Without my processors, I can't hear myself breathing or the keyboard clicking as I type. When I speak, I can feel the vibrations in my throat, but I can't hear my voice. It's gone. Deafness is part of what defines me. I am compensating for my lack of hearing in every interaction of every day. When I'm too tired to focus and feel like I'm missing everything, I want to cry. But as lonely as it seems, most of the time I forget I'm deaf. During the day, I'm surrounded by noise, at home, I can let the silence drown out the sound, because silence is a comfort. It's the other half of my world. For the California Report, I'm Olive Howden. Asala Sanapur produced that story. For more stories from high school student journalists, tune into our Youth Takeover show. That's coming up in a couple weeks. You hear me? It's so important to be heard. That voice you're hearing, it might be coming from a machine. But behind those words, there's a person. Her name is Anna Berlowitz, and she's 37. She has cerebral palsy, which has impacted the part of her brain that controls her speech and movement. 
Caregivers help feed and dress her, and she talks through a device attached to her wheelchair. Throughout my life, people have expected very little of me. I have to work to make myself heard. Anna also happens to be the sister of the California Report's senior editor, Victoria Mauleon. They grew up together in San Francisco. The two of them sat down to talk about what it means to try to make yourself heard. It's a quick walk from KQED, the radio station where we produce this show, to Anna's apartment. Hi, Mom. Hi, sweetie. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Great, great. That's her mom, Judith Berlowitz. She's 80, and she doesn't live with Anna, but she's helping out today because Anna's short a caregiver. Hi, sis. How are you doing, girl? That's my sister's real voice. She makes these kinds of sounds when she's happy or distressed, but I know she's excited to see me because her huge blue eyes flicker with joy. She also flails her arms when she's excited. That's because the kind of cerebral palsy she has makes it hard for her to control her movements. Anna calms down, looks intensely at her communication device. She can't use her hands to type. Instead, there's a reflective dot attached to her glasses, and it controls a tracker in the device. Moving her head slowly, she types something out. Hi. It takes Anna a long time to type that word. She has to keep her head super still to control the tracker. So in this story, you're hearing how she sounds after I've taken the pauses out of her speech. Can I give you a kiss? Yes. I was there the night Anna was born. I was nine, and I watched as she came out blue. The umbilical cord snarled around her neck. Those unknown minutes her brain was deprived of oxygen had a lasting impact. As a baby, she endured terrible seizures. Anna, do you want a snack now? Yes, please. Okay. As an adult, all of her food has to be blended, and she sometimes chokes when she eats. She's dealt with countless staph infections that have landed her in the hospital over and over again. But somehow, Anna has weathered all of this with patience and sometimes even humor. (laughs) Do you remember this picture? That's our massive dog sitting on my lap. (laughs) And Anna has accomplished some pretty stunning things. She began reading when she was three, She went to college. She's presented at conferences in Europe. Back when we were kids, I always worried about something bad happening to her, and I often felt powerless to protect her. It's scary to acknowledge how vulnerable she is. Is it okay if we talk about some really personal and maybe some kind of painful stuff? Yes. Thanks, sis. So what does it feel like to rely on other people and machines to express yourself. Weird. It feels weird. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like a robot. It makes you feel like a robot? Yes. And what does that feel like? Frustrating. It feels frustrating. 
So Anna, you're in the middle of writing a book, which is so cool. And I've been reading your draft and you talk a lot about the people you've hired to help feed you and shower you and get you dressed. What does it feel like to have people care for you in this way? I feel like a baby. I feel like a baby. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, you've had some wonderful attendants over the years. They've cared for you with respect and kindness, and some of them have even felt like family. Um, but, you know, it's been painful to learn about how some of them have hurt you, whether it's by accident or neglect. You know, I'm thinking about um, that time one of your attendants forgot to set the brake on your wheelchair, and you went flipping down mom and dad's front steps and really hurt yourself. Or when uh, another attendant was wheeling you into an elevator, and your foot slammed against the wall and your ankle broke? Yes. Yeah. How would you feel about sharing an excerpt of your book about that? I refuse to let anybody control me. Some of my attendants have ripped away my communication device because they did not want to hear me. I can stand it when people ignore me or neglect me. This is as cruel as physical abuse. It really is abuse, what you experienced. And it makes me angry frankly, and sad that this happened to you, and I'm so sorry. But I'm really glad to hear that you refuse to let anybody control you or hurt you in this way. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about someone else who wasn't so great to you. So you were in a romantic relationship with someone for a long time. Was that like nine years? Yes. This guy, I can say he also has cerebral palsy and he uses a wheelchair and I read in your book that he would use your attendants you know your caregivers for his own personal care and never paid them could you read a little bit from that chapter where you talk about him when we went anywhere I always ended up paying he made me sleep naked after I bought all those cute negligees I guess I was trying to please him God only knows why I let this happen. As a disabled woman, it is hard to find love, and I just wanted a boyfriend. So, Anna, um, we're doing this whole show about, you know, people living with disabilities. And is there something that you would like folks to know about what it's like to live with your disability? A M A Z Amazing. Tell me, why is it amazing to have cerebral palsy? Mm. So many opportunities. So many opportunities? Yes. It's incredible, Anna, because I imagine a lot of people, when they think about people who live with disabilities, think about things that they can't do, things that are difficult in their lives. And you say there's so many opportunities. Yeah, swimming. You can go swimming. What else? Dancing. You can dance in your wheelchair. Public speaking.
Anna talking about all the opportunities she has, that is so Anna. And suddenly I realize I have so much to learn about my sister and about what it means to be disabled and that I need to check my own assumptions and judgments and pity. And Anna says that's one of the reasons why she's writing her book. The disability community is my culture. People need to understand my culture just as I need to understand theirs. So what do you want people to understand about your culture? People. Mm. Fought really hard. People fought really hard. For the rights of people with disabilities? Yes. Yeah. What else do you want people listening to this story to know about you? Never give up. Never give up. I think that you have an incredible story to tell. Thank you. And I love you, sis. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye, sis. I'll check in with you next week, okay? Yes. That was Anna Berlowitz talking with her sister, the California Report's senior editor, Victoria Mauleon. We've produced a video about Anna. Find it at californiareport.org. A lot of times, conversations around disability are framed like this. Disability is a barrier, and we're searching for a way around it. But what if you could knock down a barrier entirely? Would you? What would it mean to take away a disability? As reporter Margaret Catcher tells us, a family from Sacramento is grappling with exactly that question. From the moment Delaney Van Riper was born, her boundless energy stunned her parents. When Delaney came out, she just came out like a bowling ball. She just rolled and went and banged and went and walking and talking and happy and bubbly and just there was no stopping her. So Delaney That's was AJ kind of Van Riper, Delaney's dad, and a genetic counselor. He's kind of like a therapist for people with genetic disorders. One day, around Delaney's seventh birthday, he noticed that his daughter seemed to only walk on her tippy toes. All of a sudden, the parent side of me switched into the genetic counselor side of me, and I'm like, do I have a daughter who toe walks? So he'd ask me if I could, you know, just if I'd even realize I was, you know, tiptoeing, and then if I could walk like a duck, just walk on my heels, and I couldn't. She couldn't do it. And then that's when I was like, oh, we've got a problem. Delaney was diagnosed with CMT, which stands for Charcot-Marie-Tooth. It's a genetic disorder that impacts the nerve signals going to Delaney's arms and legs. She's got muscle atrophy and tightened ligaments, stiff curled joints, and some trouble moving. Only about 12 people in the world have the kind of CMT Delaney has. She's 19 now, a sophomore at UC Santa Cruz. When Delaney was a kid, she wore leg braces. She says she felt bionic. You know, when you're young, you want to be cool. You want to be, you know, the superhero or whatever. That is just different from everybody else. And I was different from everybody else, but eventually became in a not good way. When she hit puberty, her hands started to weaken. She became more aware of these snagging limitations on her body and her future. 
she wondered why this was happening to her. Like the question that everybody has, you know, why me? Why do I? Why am I the one that gets stuck with this? Neither of Delaney's parents has CMT. Her disorder was a unique mutation in her DNA. You know, nobody to blame and being alone, it kind of definitely built up a lot of self-hate. Delaney's self-hate even veered into self-harm. But with time, she started to find peace. When I was 13, 14, I had to kind of accept that this is going to be my life for as long as I know. Then, when she was 17, out of nowhere, she got an email from a scientist, Dr. Bruce Conklin. He was looking for people for a study, people with CMT, especially the super rare kind that Delaney has. He hoped to one day remove the genetic disorder from patients' bodies. All we have to do is disable a bad acting gene. And if we can just get rid of that, we're very, very sure that she'll be relieved of the problem. Dr. Conklin thinks that what he learns from editing CMT can be helpful in one day editing more common motor neuron disorders like ALS. Dr. Conklin is a senior investigator at Gladstone Institutes in San Francisco in the aptly named Conklin Lab. Delaney donated blood to the lab and now her cells are kept here in an incubator. So we're gonna start, we can actually look at some of Delaney's cells which I was growing. That's Hannah Watry. She's a research associate here, and she's showing Delaney and me around. So I'm just going to try to focus these. I'm going to change the magnification. Oh, they've grown so big. Watry is using the gene editing technology known as CRISPR to snip out the mutation in Delaney's DNA. Housed in a freezer in a test tube the size of a needle is the protein that will target the typo in Delaney's genes. Oh, here it is. It's like precious. Like, do you... I'm going to put it back in the freezer. <laughs> but, but yeah, they're, they're relatively precious, but, but it's fun to see, I think. In a machine, CRISPR carries an enzyme into the cell and finds the exact spot that has the typo. The enzyme acts like a pair of molecular scissors and cuts out the problem DNA. Then... The editing just kind of happens within the cells while they're living uh, in the incubator. Coming to the lab makes Delaney wonder whether what's happening here will actually change her future. I would like to be hopeful and think that within my lifetime, something will happen or like something, um, there would be an opportunity for a cure for me. Um, as far as I can see, the only way I can go is up. But it's complicated for Delaney to wrap her head around how to feel about that possible cure. The language of gene editing is laced with the premise of fixing something wrong with you that's also kind of who you are. You're not really fixing us. I know it's like the easiest way to like for people to understand, but there's nothing really to fix. You're just making our life less difficult. I met Delaney and her parents, AJ and Becky, at their home near Sacramento so we could talk about this. It's difficult for me as a parent. Like if I had the power to go back in a time machine and touch her shoulder and lift CMT out of her, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. You, you want to take things away. You want to take it away and fix it. But at the same time, that's saying you're broken. No, I know. I know. I said the opposite. <laughs> I said I would take it away. Well, I, I would too. But if you say that, oh, I wish I could take this from you. I wish I could take this from you. It also implies, God, you're really tweaked. You know, I struggled and I had difficulties. I feel like I became a better person because of that. Delaney thinks it's important that this be framed as a choice, a decision for each person to make, not an assumption that everyone wants their genes edited. 
it's not all negative it's not all sad and just because i have it doesn't mean i'm le- i can be less happy in life it just means my life is more difficult and delaney adds difficulty doesn't always equal sadness for the california report i'm margaret catcher We live in a world that places value on certain kinds of bodies and minds. And that story we just heard talks about how some people frame disability as a barrier. But others, including many in California's disability rights community, say the real barriers have to do with the way our societies are built, the way we've set up everything, from technology to jobs, to the way our cities are planned. They say those things, and a lot more, need to become more accessible if we want to improve the quality of life for people living with disabilities. Imagine you're skiing down the craggy slopes in Lake Tahoe, navigating turns and dodging trees, and doing it all without being able to see. Hold and turn. When he says, uh, and left, it means uh, right now, not not in two seconds. Not in three seconds. It takes a lot of concentration. That's David Collins. He's blind, and he's flying down the mountain with his guide. They're part of a ski program for adults and kids with a range of disabilities. Reporter Sam Harnett met up with a few of them after a recent dump of fresh powder. That's easier. Closer? Yep. Is it, is it um, almost money, or do we need to let a little bit more air out? No, it's pretty Ryan Pretherbridge is helping Julius Schrem adjust his leg prosthetic. It's designed for skiing, but it had a little too much air pressure in it the last time they went out. Well, the first day was pretty bad, if I remember right, (laughs) with Ryan. I kept on falling all the time, right? They kept on coming off. Julius is a military veteran. He lost his leg while deployed in El Salvador in 1986. When you, uh, so when you had the amputation, did you just think, I'll probably never ski again? Actually, I said, I'm not going to ever do nothing again. (laughs) It wasn't just skiing, it was everything, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, uh bummed out about everything. With all the snow this year, Julius has been coming off into the Alpine Meadows Resort and skiing with its Achieve Tahoe program. Now, some skiers here use monoskis, which are kind of like a human ski boot. You strap into a bucket seat with one large ski attached to the bottom, and you hold on to two little outrigger skis that you use to steer. I'm going to adjust that strap real quick. Is that the hip strap or thigh strap, Michael? Michelle Marie Smith is getting strapped in. Michelle recently lost her leg, and the transition has been hard. It keeps me from laying in my bed sad. These things just help your mental state beyond you could even imagine. With the Chief Tahoe, Michelle gets to move her body under her own will and at high speeds, something that's been rare since she lost her leg. It's freeing, she says, and there's a bonus with being strapped in. When you crash, your equipment doesn't go flying everywhere. You're also just like... Boom, because you're not getting out of this at all. You're like strapped in tight. So it's not like I have a yard sale. It's basically boom. (laughs) And left, hold, and right. That's David again, the blind skier we met earlier. He's now on the 10th run of the day. He's mirroring the turns of the guide that's skiing in front of him. Hold, little shady transition, and turn. It looks beautiful when it happens because it's like synchronized skiing. Turn, the scary part is when you're first learning how to ski and you don't have control, then, then you're like, am I going to hit that tree or am I going to turn? I don't see the trees. And turn, and turn, and turn, and stop. 
Good. David didn't ski for 20 years, but now he's trying to get back into it. He's conquered most of the intermediate trails at Alpine Meadows. Next, he wants to take on the biathlon, which involves skiing and shooting a rifle at targets. Chief Tahoe doesn't have a guide for that yet. That's KQED's Sam Harnett. He and Chris Hoff produce a podcast called The World According to Sound. We'll be bringing you more of their stories on how blind and visually impaired Californians experience the Golden State starting next week. And that's the California Report magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Nina Thorson is in as our director this week for Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Rob Spate and Katie McMurrin. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Special thanks this week to Allie Cannington at the Disability Organizing Network. The California Report's editorial team also includes Asala Sanapur, Adam Grossberg, David Marks, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation. Accepting nominations now for the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvine.org. College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.